We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. feeling unwell? Have you had trouble waking up? Have you had trouble getting where you need to be on time? Have you been lashing out at others or feeling generally like you don't belong? Well, it's possible that you've been infected by Arsenal Captaincy. If you believe you are suffering the effects of the Arsenal Captaincy, please contact this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Goodbye Man, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, if there's one thing you don't want to catch right now, I, I know there's a global pandemic. But it's the Arsenal captaincy. You don't want it. It may make you late. It may make you throw the armband on the ground and give the finger to 60,000 people. It may make you sit on a pitch and cry at the end of a match. The Arsenal captaincy is a thing that can make you go to Barcelona and, and wear other clubs' shirts while you are still captain of Arsenal. It can make you do incredible things. None of them good. You don't want it. And it would seem that the current captain doesn't want it either. So... Let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. We won 3-0, and when we win 3-0, we should celebrate that and have fun with it. It didn't look great to begin with. It was a heck of a lot of fun by the end, and we're going to break it down in full, tedious, long-winded, verbose manner as always. And we're going to peek ahead to West Ham because it is a big game. That's what it's come to, but we're going to start with the captaincy. We're going to start with our uh, our captain, Aubameyang. We're going to start with that issue because I just think... Uh, you know, I listen to the Ars cast, and now I have the good ideas in my head, and I don't want them to get stale before I can uh, regurgitate them. So, here to do that with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. I'm excited to talk about this because I think we have the capability among us to address this from all the various angles in a way that appeals to the concerns and reactions that various people have to this divisive issue and make all all of them angry at us simultaneously. So I think that is good. Let me just update you on what the current reporting is. And when I say reporting, I what I mean is this is what we know based on what we are being told. And so we have no ability to assess truth truthiness. But basically, initially it was reported that Aubameyang uh, was not going to be in the squad. And there were obviously guesses that it was illness. That is not 
what happened. We were told by Mikel Arteta that it was discipline. He would expand no further. I presume that the media was either briefed or came into possession of the information that Aubameyang had been given permission to travel to France on Wednesday on the condition that he return that night in order to report for Thursday's training. This related to an issue with his mother. Uh, there had been some ongoing issues there. She had been unwell. Certainly an issue that the, the club apparently has been very sympathetic to. Aubameyang did not return on Wednesday, instead catching the early flight on Thursday morning, but did report to London Colney uh, on time, according to sources, on time for training. As far as Arsenal were concerned, that was already an infraction, and it may have been related to complications with and confusion about COVID protocols for travel and return to the UK. Um, so, that leaves us with Aubameyang not being in the squad for the game. Uh, a second time this has happened with Aubameyang, and certainly not the first time or second time we've run into this with some players uh, and disciplinary issues. So, Clive, let's start just with the basics of how you react to the behavior of the player, the behavior of the club slash manager, in the wake of the specific reporting that we have? Mm. Well, my first thought, my first emotion is, oh, no, not again. <laughs> right? That's a good point. Yeah, we just don't yeah. need it. <laughs> yeah, I remember the North London Derby one. It's like, oh, are you really doing this for North, North London Derby at home? You know, the whole the Arsenal world watching. But we played well and we got away with it. I'm thinking, oh, no, not again, not again. Does this need to be out here? That's my that's my honest first emotion. And then I think back to environments, think back to non-negotiables. And, and what I will say, when he says that, I can see lots of people, their eyebrows, you know, roll their eyes, etc. But lots of football teams, lots of sporting organisations, whatever sport it's in, you do have a, a code of conduct and... Sometimes you you sign something for that code of conduct. There are teams that make you sign that before the season. So everyone has the same rules, right? I've run youth teams where the players have code of conduct and the parents have code of conduct. Do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. so this is not, when they say non-negotiable, don't think it's just something written down in some management phrase book. There are, there are rules by which a team and organisation is run, which the players sign up to literally, right? So... But I will say, it, I think it's a personal thing how people feel about this. I think it depends what you, how you feel about management of people, management of superstars, management of your favourites, management in general. And there are different styles of management and whether you agree with them or not. You know, Arthur Wenger was more of a laissez-faire leadership guy. And it's obvious that, well, to me, it's obvious that Mikel Arteta is more of an authoritarian, autocratic type leader. You know, and... If you like your Arsene Wenger style, we never would have heard of this, right? But what we may have heard is another back injury from Ezra Ozil. Do you know what I mean? There's just different ways of concealing the same thing, you know? And I think from an Arsenal fan's point of view, um, I just want a smooth, serene environment so we can concentrate on the football. When we lose two or three games in a row, it's not that. When we win 3-0 at home, it's still not that due to things have happened off the pitch. And I find that a shame because for this group in particular, 
they need that serenity. They need that environment that allows them to develop. What they don't need is one of the senior people in the dressing room bringing some trauma into the dressing room because they can't stick to the rules. Now, you could say, we may never know this. Why does Arteta feel he has to make it public? I can't argue against that, and I'm not sure I would do it, but that's his way. And he, he's a, he is one thing, he's cons- fairly consistent with it. You know, so, yeah, I mean, some people might point to the Willian Dubai trip that people feel was handled differently, but by and large, I I do agree. There's been a measure of consistency there. Yeah, and again, we see what we see. And when the first time um, that Abamyang sort of was late pre Spurs, it was reported it wasn't the first time, right? So, and for Willian, for example, we are we are summarizing here. That could have been the first infraction, and we don't know the details, etc. But he's fairly consistent. The way he exposed it was very consistent. Pre-game, almost exactly the same. Would I do it? I don't think I would. But at least he's being true to himself. You know, and as podcasters, we try to do that. He's being true to himself, and I just got to sit back there and say, "Mate, get the results." Get the results, and um, you can do what you bleeding well like. If you don't yeah. get the results, you're going to get questioned. Yeah, I mean, he's. I, I was going to say lucky, but maybe lucky has nothing to do with it. He's he's had the good fortune that in the two games where he has left Aubameyang out for discipline, obviously one much bigger than this one, the North London Derby, he's won them both. And and when you win, you are presumed correct, and that's sort of how sports works. Um, you know, some people have made the point, and I think it's fair that if he hadn't told us what had happened if they hadn't briefed the press, if we didn't know that he was being disciplined, it would have come out eventually. Because And, and then we would have accused him of lying or making things up. I, I think the only way around it, I, I sort of agree with that perspective, if you wanted to discipline him without it getting out, the only solution would have been put him on the bench, don't sub him on at all, don't play him. And given the fact that he had been dropped previously and presuming we went on to play the way we did where we didn't wind up needing him anyway, then he could have had it be a discipline that was not public. I think that's the only way it could have gone. If he's on the bench and he's not picked and he's not subbed on, people might hem and haw about why that is or what's going on, but by and large, um, then you would not have the presumptions about discipline. Paul, the the issue, to some extent, I think also extends to the captaincy. And it, it's a ridiculous armband. I don't know what it does to players' brains, but... Shaka certainly had his struggles with it. We've had some Cesc Fabregas issues with it, Robin Van Persie issues with it, William Gallus. I mean, you could say we've chosen some terrible captains, and sometimes the problem is we use the captaincy as a carrot to try to keep players happy, right? In, in you know, a mm. bait to keep them on board and happy as opposed to giving it to the most deserving player who has sort of earned it. We hope that by giving it to them, they will grow into the thing we want them to become. So it, it, it is a selection issue at some level. But I'm curious, you know, certainly feel free to weigh in on on how it's been handled, but also whether you think this must have an impact on the captaincy. Because I think, Paul, he was late. Some people be like, late, got to be suspended. That's it, discipline. Some people be like, ridiculous, autocratic, incredible. What are you doing? No, 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 no. Fine. Fact is, there is the question of whether this kind of discipline, which is not for like, you know, pooping in someone's garden and telling them that they're a jerk, it's lateness, does it demand a stripping of the captaincy? And I, I don't I don't know. I don't have a strong feeling on it. Do you? 
Um, well, I think it's problematic because it's the second time it's happened. So mm, I think yep. it has it creates an issue for the captaincy. Uh, it's like, <laughs> how is the one person you publicly disciplined twice your captain uh, going forward? So, uh, like, I don't, like Clive says, I don't love this. It's not how I would handle it. Um, even if you felt it needed to be public, there are ways to take some of the heat off it, implying it's more that it was kind of unfortunate, disruptive, almost understandable, but it is what it is. We left him out because uh, it was disruptive to our planning and uh, blah, blah, blah. But it was that's not what we heard. We, we heard it was disciplinary and then no explanation and then disciplinary uh, with the backstory that he was late um, <clears throat> and that his, uh, if you like, his suspension or his discipline was starting. So he could have done it with a lot less heat and it'd still be public. It'd be more understandable, unfortunate, procedural. It is what it is. Um, we had to leave him out of the lineup on the day because we were planning without him, so we left him out. Mm. Um, so that's one aspect of it. So I don't love it. Um, it's not what I would do. It's not what most managers seem to do. Um, but it is his style. And to Clive's point, what matters is, can he make it work for him? Uh, even if that's not one of the things he would or should do, it comes as an overall picture of how he uh uh, sets expectations with his squad. There's an upside to non-negotiables and a downside. This might be the downside. The upside is he has a very young team in which you can instill one of two things because they're still working out what is a team. How does it work at a club like Arsenal? I'm only here three months, six months, and I'm, oh, look, the captain had a good excuse for turning in his homework late again. Um, what does that say to a whole bunch of young players when we need their focus, we need their understanding? The other thing I think it, that maybe Aubameyang will get a free bit of a free pass on is that these are COVID times again. Graham Potter has four guys out. Uh, yeah, United Spurt, has an outbreak. that They might not have a game. Their Brentford game might be called off. Yeah. So what is the implicit message you're sending with the guy who says he will be back one time shows up another time there's confusion on the friday over whether his testing is adequate or not um based on the ornstein reporting even if it turns out it was adequate in a way it doesn't matter uh, arteta probably saved some number of lives when in whenever it was March, April, he did what I don't, like I say, I wouldn't have done this. I probably wouldn't have done what Arteta did when he spoke up immediately. I've got COVID uh, and blew the whistle and probably saved a whole bunch of lives. Not to be overdramatic about it. Um, I probably would have said, mm, do, do, let's, <laughs> let's make sure that's a really good test. And like, like, I bet he wasn't the only person in football who had COVID. Uh, but he's the first notable manager to say, holy shit, blow the whistle, I got COVID. Yeah. And football reacted to it. And we don't know what the implications of this are. And that's why I think it comes down to each manager has his own style and 
it's not how I would do it. It's a, it's a bit, it feels a bit OTT for me, mm-hmm. but we're not in there. We don't know how many kind of soft versions of this there were. And uh, honestly, for a guy who's played 400K um, or whatever, 300, pick your number. Just gave him a hell of a raise for being late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, loads of goals. Uh, sure, that's that's why we pay him the money. But we also paid him the money because he was the talisman. And we inherited, Arteta inherited him from Unai Emery as his captain and talisman yeah. and stuck with it, to be fair. And yes, he went back for the additional contract, but either way, Aubameyang will be staying. And as long as he's here, it's an easy, you know, so. Right. Yeah. But, but it's his captain and he owns him and that's fine. Uh, but he's paid a lot of money to do a couple of things, maybe not to be the most captainy captain, but to be a talisman. And when you're out of form and we're struggling, fucking get back in time and don't don't be creating issues and stories. Uh, you've asked for extraordinary leave to go, and I don't really understand. I know he wanted to, he's bringing his mom back to England. I don't know, understand all the details, and maybe it was a good reason why he had to go instead of Willie, head of his entourage, or his dad who can all be quite local, vocal yeah. when they need to be. Like, yeah. hire some cousins, hire some brothers and sisters, bring your mom back safely, or you leave on the Wednesday evening and let them bring her over on the Thursday. Hire a private plane. I don't know. Yeah, there are, uh, a, lot, there are a lot of alternatives. I mean, he, like, so, and I want to bring Clyde back in this, but I think you've hit on something, Paul, which is this. Whether we agree with Arteta's approach to handling it or not, none of us are saying that we approve of a player breaking the rules. Like the obvious, most the, the most obvious thing is players should just follow the rules all the time. And if they do that, then discipline like this isn't necessary. Yeah. And so the player is always ultimately the first one at fault. They broke the rule. We have to keep that in mind. The question then becomes in a world of football where players do break rules and can be a pain in the ass, how do you flex around that? There is some reporting that we have tried to flex around that with Aubameyang. And some people in your mileage will vary about whether we've flexed enough or not enough and whether we went public and shouldn't have gone public and what the case is. But the original sin is the rule breaking. Now the player might say, I was on time for training. That's my responsibility. What happens outside of that is my own business. The club clearly didn't say that, and he knew it. It's not, well, we're going off reporting, but we knew it. So, Clive, it is... Can I quickly restate my main point in all of that, Mush, which is in these stressful times of COVID, perhaps the most important thing to do is for players to do what they're supposed to do, or people are going like if you don't follow the rules, even if this wasn't specifically COVID related, the message you sp- you send as a manager when other teams are losing players is you got some flex here as long you know if if your homework's a little late but you got a good reason, we'll work with you. And Arteta and his team might be under tremendous stress mm. trying to keep people in the bubble behaving. Treating the rules seriously, like yep. uh, not to get over dramatic, but this can be life and death well, for people. And Obama Yang should have followed the bloody rules because he mightn't have been thinking about COVID, but the rest of the world is. Well, and setting aside life or death, just the simple fact that from a, a managerial standpoint, one of the biggest advantages it feels like you can have this season is don't have a COVID outbreak. 
If you don't have a COVID outbreak, you have a leg up on your competition. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to try to be a little more strict and a little more controlling of player movement and player free time. And that will butt up against players who are rich, spoiled, young millionaires and want to do what they want. And Clive, look, I do think there's also a, a fetishization of slapping down these young, spoiled millionaires to some extent. Like, mm. I cannot ignore the fact that it is if you want to make fans happy, just punish a spoiled millionaire. Like, people like that. People do like, you know, he broke the rules. This guy makes 300 grand a week. Screw that guy. Strip him of the captaincy. Leave him in France. We don't want him. Any, and like, and, and I want to be clear. I totally get the catharsis and and appeal and dopamine rush of that because they are young, rich, world at their feet, all the talent in the world on a team that's struggling and you're one of the reasons it's struggling and you think you can go do this. So I get it. Unfortunately, the club and the manager have to operate in the practicalities of the real world, which doesn't allow for that kind of sort of binary good versus evil approach to the world. I'm, I'm not saying he's evil, by the way. So I, I, I think the challenge is there's no question the player broke a rule. What is the right solution for managing a complex collective of spoiled millionaires, especially when one of them is your highest paid, most prominent player? Yeah, I don't think there's going to be any right solution for everybody that's listening because people have different ways of how they manage things. And well said, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and and that's the truth. And, I, and I've sat here for many years talking about our culture, how I wanted it to change, how I didn't like certain things, and this guy's been the one guy that's been brave enough to take people on, right? And whether people are happy that he's safe in his job and seems to be safe in his job, that safety has allowed him to take people on. And there's an unease with some of our senior pros, and it has been over a while. And he needs to be confident in his position to be able to take this on and reduce the wage bill and tear up that dressing room, which he is doing. Right, he is doing it. And so when I look at the club, and I look at our, the, you know, the, the improvement in personalities in the club, and there's a, there's an unease maybe with with two or three of the French players in in the in the top end of our wage bill, shall we say? There's, a, there's one's about to leave in six months' time. We've got a record signing that I don't think I've ever heard do an interview in the period of time he's been here. And I'm, I'm looking at the value he's given to the club as a, as a franchise player, per se. And we have our captain and symbol that there's an unease about in that relationship. And whether we know the intricacies or not, we all feel it. We know how he arrived. We know how he exited Dortmund. We all look at his Instagrams. We feel it. However, when we watch it on the grass, he's, for most part, has been incredibly committed, incredibly hardworking. He has moments where focus gets lost and confidence dips and goes. And if you look at his period over his Arsenal career, you know, you would say, we've signed this guy to get us back into the Champions League, and it hasn't quite happened. That's not just his fault. Things have happened in the club. Massive instability. But he's almost a manifestation to me of the other regimes, shall we say. And I think I think this is coming to a head. Not just this event, just by just looking at the people that we've brought in this summer in the in the previous windows, I can see this team developing away from Aubameyang football wise. And um and that's that's absolutely fine. I don't think anyone should get dramatic about it. I posted a video actually of the of the kit launch of two years ago, and the players in that kit launch, Kalashnik, Gwendozi, Urzil, so many of them, they're not here. You know, even Steve mm-hmm. Bowles gone. 
Like they're not they're not here anymore. Change happens to every football club, and um, let's see what happens here. But I think Arteta has got he's almost managing like he's won the Champions League three times. I sometimes say we play two 0 football at one nil. He's almost doing it from in a management way. But fair play to him. I want I wanted a culture change at the club. I wanted modern coaching styles. And as far as I can see, he's bringing a lot of that. Not all the results are there yet. So I can't go back and say, well, but just be nice to this guy. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I think he's got to stick to his guns. Otherwise, cultures do not change. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, one thing that is such a tired expression, but is true, correlation doesn't equal causation. And I think there is a bit of people putting two and two and two together, and I do this too, I, I'm guilty of it, and saying like, he went to war with Ozil, and Ozil got frozen out. We paid his contract for him to leave, and he went toward Ganduzi, and Ganduzi was frozen out, and Ganduzi was sent away for next to nothing, and now he's at war with Aubameyang. And like, then you come to the correlation equal causation point. We say because all those things happened, Arteta is a fascist dictator who cannot work with players. But it could just be the case that Ozil and Ganduzi were problematic in such a way that no manager could tolerate it. It could be the case that Aubameyang has been given leniency and room to have different rules for himself and still has broken those rules at time to the point where you could not say you have any culture or any rules if you don't discipline him. We don't know. That's the problem, right? I have to come down, unfortunately, on the strongest possible side of I don't know. My instinct is always a little bit that managers have to find ways of working with the most difficult players such that they can still get a tune out of them and keep them in the group because you can't afford to destroy asset value. Like asset destruction has been a problem for this club and we can't continue to do it. But we don't know. We don't know if he's crossed so many lines that this is actually him being too late to discipline him or that he's just being overly disciplined. Maybe the fault is in publicizing it. Maybe the fear was that not publicizing it would lead to rampant speculation that would be worse for the group. This, maybe they felt put a pin in it. I, I want to read a tweet, by the way, that I think is an interesting one from DTDC Gunner that I think explains why this dynamic is weird. Most of us who work for companies, if you work in an organization, you have a boss, your boss tells you what to do, you kind of have to do it. And if you don't, you usually get disciplined. But DTDC Gunner makes a point. If I make four times what my boss makes, on a longer, less easily cancelable contract than he has. My boss is actually an informal advisor with no real authority over me. And I think this is an interesting part of the dynamic. When you are paid more than your boss, on a longer contract than your boss, with a contract that is harder to get out of than your boss, and you know a track record of performance that actually makes you a bigger figure and potentially a bigger figure in the group than your boss, like it, it does create a difficult dynamic. I think we can move off of this except to say I don't know if the captaincy has to be stripped from him because that becomes a second layer of discipline. And that's sort of the problem, right? Like if you don't do this, maybe you do that instead. I, I don't know. What's going to make it weirder is like we, we don't know if he comes right back into the group. The, the discipline starts now is what he indicated. I, I think there are a lot of ways to go. You know, I was saying to Paul before we came on the air, we're not on the air before we started recording. Um, you know, the Chicago Bulls, the legendary Chicago Bull team with Michael Jordan, like they were legendarily dysfunctional in ways. Michael Jordan punched Horace Grant in the face and they played the next game, both of them. Uh, Dennis Rodman didn't just miss training. There was a week where they didn't know where he was and could not locate him. And he showed up for the day of the game. They're like, you good? He's like, yep. And so we played. 
Am I saying that's how you should manage a team? I'm not. I'm saying that is a way you can manage a team. And I think it's interesting that in 22 years of Arsene Wenger, the only public discipline I can think of is Alexis sitting out that first half at Liverpool. I mean, it stands out so much that we reference it a lot because the only one I can think of, and we now have like, you know, four or five clear different examples of it happening in a short period of time, two years under Arteta. So it does make our heads turn. We were all raised on Arsene Wenger to some extent and a different approach to discipline. Here's what we can all agree on. If you're winning, you look like a genius. And if you're not, you don't. If Arteta had a sitting second and we were in the Champions League and we were scoring two and a half, three goals a game, do you think anybody would sit? People be like, oh, he's really got this under control. It is ultimately the results that determine whether people think your process is good. So let's see what happens. Let's see how we play now. Let's see if Aubameyang comes back in the group, motivated and ready to play. Let's see if he finds other solutions that are better. I, I do think asset destruction is a concern, but that you know that can be set aside for now. I, I think we can leave it there unless anyone has a, a closing thought, but I think this also will be a story that continues to evolve. So it would be sort of pointless to try to draw conclusions at this point other than to say, yes, players should behave and follow rules. And yes, managers have to work with difficult players who don't always do that. And because we don't have enough details, we can't say the extent to which those things have or haven't happened. One quick point about the COVID protocols, you guys. Anyone who has been around celebrities or in contact with celebrities or high net worth individuals or anything like this knows this. The club should make sure the player knows when he needs a PCR test. Like, like when a multi-multi-millionaire superstar travels, you've got a travel coordinator who's like, here are the tests you will need. Here are the forms. Someone will knock on your door with those forms. Let them in and they will take it. Like, they just handle it for you. So the idea that, like, it should be his personal responsibility to know the COVID protocols and, and take care of them, like, yes, for most of us human beings, that's how it works, but that's not really how it works in that situation. Okay, um, let's take a deep breath. Blow it out. I think we said enough on that topic that a lot of people will disagree with something. So we have something everyone can disagree with, but the story will evolve and we'll continue to say things you can disagree with. The point is we may need a new captain. We may need a new striker. And that means we're in a hiring mode. And you know what? If you're in a hiring mode, there's only one thing to do. Your organization needs to put together an all-star team. Your front office needs an all-star roster. You need Indeed. Indeed we do. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible. Hey, the January window's coming up. That's pretty fast. You think they can find us a striker and captain? We'll see. Because you can do it all. Attract, interview, and hire. All at Indeed. Is there an Erling Holland available? Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner. Don't struggle to find your own quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Please score lots of goals and be on time. And you can even invite them to apply right away. January 1st, in fact. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. That's better than a Sven Mislintat rate or a Raul rate, that's for sure. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Offer valid through December 31st. All right, we'll need a new offer for the transfer window. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed, Clive. Is that enough of that? That's enough of that, indeed. Indeed. Touche. 
Hey, I, I do I do the bad puns around here, buddy. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, okay, so I think the the next step of the analysis, I don't want to go from negative to negative because this was a 3-0 win, and I want to be positive about the 3-0 win, but Paul, the 3-0 win did not come without some lumps, and like if we're going to take it chronologically, we have to at least address what we think went wrong in the initial stage. The first 20 minutes, definitely, and I think in your mind, the first half entirely, but certainly the first 20 minutes, there was a bit of a, uh-oh, here we go. You picked the same team from Everton. I sort of was surprised by that a little because, you know, it, it it was a fairly, well, at least the first 70 minutes of it were a fairly lethargic and uninspired performance. And it looked like they had a hangover from the last two losses. Could not get out of our half. We were really struggling with the press. We were trying to play out, which is what we want to do. And I think when you play teams that press you, that should play. We've always talked about this, right, Paul? That should play into what Arsenal want. But the first 20 minutes, we saw too much of what has happened in those cases, like the Brighton game comes to mind, where we couldn't get out. So do you want to just quickly, before we get to all the fun, explain what you think maybe went wrong, wasn't working, prevented us from being able to play, uh, it says here, football for the first 20 minutes? Yeah, so on the instant reaction pod, I was a bit, um, like, people really came at at me afterwards for being super negative, Um, or more correctly, a couple of people said that I might have been a bit more positive about it. Um, And I think it was just my expectation. I I guess I was trying to fix the problems of our previous two games where I saw quite a poor level of quality in some of the basic kind of mid-complexity or mid-challenging passing. And we just just struggled for rhythm, quality, confidence. Even when the pass would go through, it mightn't be to the right foot or to the right right, uh, position the player needs to turn and run. It was just everything kind of stopped us flowing. And so I was looking for a first half against Southampton. Uh, where we were on it, where we went for it. Um, we certainly went for it, but where the quality was there from players like Odegaard, Party, Chaka, all of them really, because whoever's been playing the last couple of games, we just we just made passing, we made playing our football look hard, um, and we struggled to get going. So that was kind of my my bias coming into this and certainly we struggled in the first 20 minutes it wasn't when i went back and looked at it it wasn't terrible it wasn't really low quality it was just like it was okay um they were pressing hard we were playing out uh, we weren't really firing but we got out a couple of times um and then of course we got out spectacularly for the goal a beautiful zigzag pattern up the right. And there has been some concerns that like we've gone back to attacking up the left and this was a game in which we had plenty of good attacking along the right. <clears throat> and we pinged it up up through the lads. Uh, the cutback from Saka, who runs in behind their defense and Blacka hits it first time. Nice strike, uh, rips the net, off we go. And I, I guess it's one of those things, it's like, you order a pizza and they it's got three toppings and like they didn't give you the three toppings you like and it might still be good pizza it just wasn't what you ordered and like the first half i just wanted a more fluid uh composed confident 
performance than we got, but we ha- we still got a ha- had a few great moments. The second half was the pizza I ordered with the exact <laughs> toppings I wanted. And like we rose and grew in confidence and certainly to my instant reaction, uh, uh, reaction, I gave the first half more emphasis than I possibly should have in the la- second half less emphasis because we did you started to see Odegaard and the boys playing with style panache confidence and what you know you could say South, Southampton their bubble was bust but they were still working pretty hard maybe it was dialed back a percent or two but they were still opposition they might have had a lot of teeth in attack but for most of that second half they gave it some welly defensively and we just really played so the second half was the pizza I ordered um, yeah, yeah, and it was great. It was really good, and they have to build on that. And I think our biggest issues against Everton and and United, and you can look at tactical this, that, and the other. We just weren't stroking the boat. We have such good technical players. We should be playing comfortably and well. And we made football look hard against those guys for whatever yeah. reasons. Away games. This was a home game, and uh, maybe that helped a little. But it was just nice to see us really kick in and really start stroking the ball around. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I I think, you know, I, I tweeted this out. I said it in the, in the instant reaction as my headline, I still feel it now. Never, ever apologize for enjoying the fun days. Our job here on this podcast is to analyze the football, including the parts of it that didn't work. But make sure you enjoy them. There's two ways to look at football. One is the longer range. What does this mean in the context of our season? Where are we in the table? Who's coming up? Who, you know, who played well? Who should be in the team and out of the team? The other is just to go to the ground or watch the game on the day, have a drink, and enjoy it. And this day wound up delivering a lot of fun for us, not without its warts. And Clive, I... I don't want to spend too much time on the why we couldn't play in the first 20 minutes section. I thought it was important to bring it up. It was tentative. It was sloppy. We had the, we did the thing where we just couldn't really pass defeat and couldn't get the ball back. But once we got that goal, we, we sort of started to get our hands around the game a little bit. And by the second half, we really saw a very bad Southampton get beat up by Arsenal and really enjoyably. And there were a couple of players that I thought were really, really essential to the performance that we put together. Let's let's take the goals quickly, though, starting with the first one. I, I love and hate that goal in the sense that that, to me, and you can tell me if you disagree, that is a quintessential goal Mikel Arteta wants to score. Playing out from the back, from the keeper, all the way up the pitch, one-touch passing, players in the position they need to be, a good pullback to the penalty spot for your striker to just stride onto it first time, smash it to the back of the net. It is perfect. It's also a goal you're going to score maybe once in 10 games, once in 15 games. Those are hard goals to piece together. And and I wish that, you know, we we had some other ways of trying to play a little bit. But in terms of in terms of the the picture perfect Mikel Arteta goal, that feels like it to me. Yeah, I thought the first half was a, a good half for the coach actually. Um so let me give you my view on the game. And I did not watch this live, so I watched it cold. And so I didn't have to stress you had Elliot when I text you during the game. So how are we going? <laughs> he said, first 15, not very good. I watched it and I'm thinking, oh, we look fine. And the reason why I felt we looked fine is we were turning the ball over, trying to go forward. Mm. Unlike versus Everton, where we, were, we weren't doing anything. We weren't taking the opponent on. We were playing in the wrong areas. I saw one when Ben White came out of his 
Hull carried it, got caught, it got shot off, you know, a nice little big save for the cameras from Aaron Ramsdale. But it was Ben White driving through the lines before he got dispossessed. Do you know what I mean there was an intention to play? So intention versus execution, right? Exactly. We weren't executing, but we were we were trying the stuff. We were trying, we were trying to go forward, and they were turning it over, getting a bit, and they were getting closer and closer, and they were nicking it, getting in. And I did. I'm thinking, yeah, but that doesn't look too dangerous to me. Well, I feel pretty cool, but I knew the score, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, three <laughs> nil. So I'm thinking, yeah, okay, let's keep going, and then then we score the coach's goal. Right, that's the one where the coaches sit back and have a and have a drink late in the night and say, "There you go, that's what we've been working for. Perfect, absolutely perfection." But just before that, we did something quite similar, and the, and very close to getting out. But Odegaard should have clipped the ball, but he went up for a flat pass, and it got cut out. But if it goes over the top to Saka, we are in. And so the warning signs were there. They were pressing on. They were pressing on. But the joy was the other side of the rainbow, you know. And as soon as you got in, it was over for them. You know, so they went for the knockout punch to get a trans, you know, to get a quick transition, three pass goal. And we went, yeah, we're not stopping. We're going to keep playing. We're going to keep playing. We're going to keep playing. You keep coming. You keep coming. We're going to play. We're going to play through. We got our knockout punch in first. Once the first goal went in, they, they melted, right? They melted away and it continuously got better and better and better throughout the game until the opponent was no longer there. Right, so it's a very good game for the coach's philosophy, and all we've got to do now is put that same bravery, that same intent against bigger teams and away from home. You know, have that same aggression to get into their half, have the running in behind and the sprinting and the power and the carrying and the right people carrying. When I see Party and Odegaard as some of the top carriers and Ben White, I like that. I want them carrying it. Because they're the people that can create new angles for the next pass. I don't want other people carrying it just to make their next pass look better, right? And slowing the game Mm -hmm. down. So I saw a much better intention to play. So I'm not sure. I didn't listen to the reaction. I've been a bit busy this weekend, but jerk. uh, Sorry, man. But Mm -hmm. I, I did see a lot of the problems at Everton fixed. You know, I did see that, and I and and so for me, this is a good day. And again. I don't think ever too many great shakes that I saw them at the weekend and they were rubbish and there was as rubbish as I thought they were and we let them off the hook and we should be even more disappointed because they are not very good. And so if we need to carry this intention forward, in my opinion, Elliot, we really do. Mm-hmm. If we if we get chinned because we're not good enough, I'm all right, but let's not get chinned without him throwing a punch. You know, and, and that's what was bothering me. And um, so I saw much more, a much improved intention to play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting distinction is the distinction between intention and execution. And like the intention and, and the patterns of play come from coaching and the execution comes from players. And so, you know, that they eventually have to go out there and do it. It was an interesting game for Odegaard in that regard, Clive, because his first 20 minutes, every single pass was <laughs> was bad. But look where he was trying to play it. In yeah. behind, around the pressure, forward. He wasn't wall passing it back to central defenders. He was getting on the ball and he was turning and trying to play it into, into the space in behind. He wasn't converting. Yeah. But 
turns out when he started to get it right, he became a force and he dominated the game and he was he was they couldn't live with him. So, yeah, on, on this day, absolutely right. Sorry, mate. On this day, him and Shaka were a little bit untidy early. Would that be right to say that? I saw that today. Yeah, yeah. Shaka, Shaka again, looked really rusty. Weirdly. He looked really rusty. It's almost like the second game. First game, adrenaline. Second game, oh my god, this I'm finding this tough. Do you know what I mean? And he got to go. Well, so the first game, there wasn't much to it. It was a very low intensity game from Everton, whereas he yeah. faced the intensity against Southampton. He, he faced intensity and he wasn't quite there against Everton. He dropped away so he could see the play and they let him have the space and he just passed the ball sideways right and so not good enough from a from a team perspective but his performance looked okay to the naked eye but I saw much more centrality from Odegaard and daggers I, I could see him being found and then you know I could just see a better balance and when Lacazette plays and you have that you have that sort of double false nine if you want to call it that way I think it's important to have speed on the outside and I thought we had that, but they, they again, their aggression was was positive, and they got in and stretched. That's exactly what you should have: stretches on the outside, yep. brains on the inside. And Ramsdale was really important to the game turning too, because he started to vary his distribution, some second level passes beyond the defenders, you know, between the lines, and that sidewinder to Martinelli. And I actually think Martinelli does well to take it down and run with the ball, and just a little unfortunate not to get his shot off there. Um, thought Martinelli was bright, but. Paul, let's let's stay on Odegaard. He also gets a goal with a second man run with a header that must have had Enkedia saying, "Why didn't I do that?" But, um, you know, I, I think in, it's fair to say that Odegaard got off to a start this season that he would not have been happy with, and he lost his place in the side. None of us, not even the strongest, most ardent Lacazette lovers and Odegaard haters, if such a thing exists, I can't imagine it does would say that it's better for us to be starting with Lacazette as the ten for an hour before he falls down. Um, than having Odegaard just come in and take the position. And he's starting to look really good. Even in the games we haven't been good, I think he's imposed himself and look, looked good. He was great in this game after that initial sort of lumpy phase we talked about. And he's getting goals, and he's getting into goal-scoring positions and showing not just the ability... Like, being clinical is a thing that comes and goes. Pe- play, players aren't clinical or not clinical, by and large. They take their chances at a pretty predictable rate. But, unless you're Aubameyang right now... But getting into those positions creates the extra threat we need. So how do you evaluate the development that Odegaard's going through? I think he looks really, really good right now, and we kind of need him to because striker is a, is a concern, and I I think he, he looks ready to, to add a little more goal threat. Yeah, um, I, I always kind of feel he's going to be the closest thing to Arteta on the pitch in terms of, uh, bossing this team to set up and play and uh, follow the patterns that the coach has been laying out in training um, and what he needs for that and for people to look to him as the North Star is that his form and our performances kind of gradually ratchet up. So I'm hoping this game was was a big one for him. Regarding him versus Lacazette, I guess it's why not both? They can they connect very well together. Um, in fact, that's really Odegaard's calling card in terms of how he connects with other players, how he kind of directs, how he sets the tempo, um, connects well with Saka. Lacazette in this game, he was starting to find Martinelli too, who ended up, you know, he, he had his moments of, of rustiness or looseness towards the start. But once he started pointing himself upfield, 
Uh, Martinelli was superb in this game. I don't know if we'll end up talking about him. I'm sure we will. But not just running in behind, but uh, dropping into midfield or or recovering the ball in midfield and then turning uh, and pointing our attack, spearheading it from midfield, driving the ball out to the right. He, He was starting to provide much more to his game. And not to give all the credit to Odegaard, but when you start seeing the the movement and the combinations of players from both sides starting to make sense and come together and, and be coherent, I tend to want to think Odegaard starting to pull it together um, just from a ry- rhythm standpoint. Switching it to the other side, it comes back to him. Um, things started to make sense. I thought... Party and Chaka uh, started to kind of have the se- the right level of integration position on the pitch that it that our shape started to look good. My uh, one of my other issues with the first half in particular, and I agree with Clive in particular, that uh, we were aggressive. Uh, Arteta talked about taking risks before the game, and one of the challenges we had in the first half was. No real control. It was them, then us, then then them, then us. And but a lot of it was in our half. Um, and I liked our more attacking movements, but I didn't like to be that deep and to have to play continually for forty-five minutes from that deep. Mm. Um, what I liked about the second half was we established positions in the middle and further up the pitch for periods of times where we got them in a headlock. And that was much more the case in the second half than the first half. Now, we had the goals behind us at that point, and maybe Southampton were a little bit, you know, they weren't at the 100% mark at that stage. But as I said before, I I still think they were putting in a, 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 maybe not a dangerous, but a, a solid pressing performance. They were doing the thing they know how to do. They weren't making it that easy for us. And in the second half, maybe they were a little off and we were a little better and had our swagger and had our Mm. our comfort level. But what I saw in the second half was control, possession. You know, we played basically for 90 minutes for a change, which was good. Yeah. And and part of what lets you do that is maintaining a level of control and uh, swinging it from side to side and moving them around. And Martinelli's movement, Odegaard, Saka, you know, uh, Lacazette. I know Lacazette isn't necessarily regarded as having a great game, but when I looked at it again, I think he did enough good Lacazette connecting stuff, dropping in, then getting back into the box. I think it worked for us. It may not have been a headline game beyond his his goal, but I think he had actually quite a solid game and it worked mm. as a composite across yeah. the team. Yeah. Well, Clive, I mean, it, it is... The, the Lacazette thing is interesting, right? Because he he scores a goal, and it, it, I almost feel like if Lacazette's going to score a goal, that's almost how it has to happen right now, where he is striding onto a ball such that the only option is to strike it first time from the penalty spot. So there's no opportunity for him to lay it off or try to find a teammate. But, like, there were, there were some interesting moments for him, too. There was the one where Tierney slips him in, and he kind of gets tired of running and <laughs> can't get a shot off, and... You know, he tries to find a teammate instead and doesn't take it on open. There's the one where he gets through a jumble of bodies into the box and then it clatters off his shin like five yards right to the keeper. There there were a lot of moments for Lacazette in this game where opportunities went begging. And and it 
look, he scores a goal. And anytime you score a goal when you're the striker, you deserve a measure of praise. But I think there were a lot of opportunities left on the pitch. And it becomes an issue only because Aubameyang is obviously on the naughty step and will be leaving for AFCON. Martinelli's looking really, really bright right now. But Emil Smith-Rowe is almost certain to come back in. And Odegaard's not losing his place anytime soon. And Kyle Sack is our superstar. So how did you evaluate this Lacazette performance? Because I'm sort of curious what the pecking order will wind up shaking out to be during AFCON on who gets that striker role. I think right now you could certainly make an argument that Gabriel Martinelli is making himself interesting enough and and enticing enough to want to maybe even give him some chance there. He did finish the game in that position when Pepe, if you remember that name, came on. So what, what do you think about the Lacazette performance? You're doing your first 11 thing again. <laughs> like there, look, here's the way football works. You have a first 11, it can't be rotated or changed, and you can't sub anybody on. Those are the rules. Exactly. I don't make them. Exactly. I know you worry about this stuff. It's like, um, well, Smith Rowe, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping, he's in, hoping he's enjoying this rest because, again, he's carried the team when we, when we couldn't score until his groin broke down, right? So I sit down. You know how that feels. Yeah, sit down, enjoy the rest. Uh, we start to realize it, and I think Arteta said something like this, and, I, and I'm glad to hear it. Form comes in patches, you know, and, you know, we've had Smith Rowe do his bit early in the season. Bamiya had a bit of flurry at the start of the season where he looked quite good. And and now Martinelli's coming into the game. Nuno came into the game, did really, really well. With Smith Rose, that left side looked amazing for a few games until it didn't, right? Until they got tired and started making mistakes. Sambi had a real patch, eight minutes at Anfield, came off the pitch quickly, you know, and now he sat down for a while. There's going to be patches of hot form. I'm glad Martelli didn't get that hamstring the other day because it looks as though he's been deployed at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really interesting into the game at striker. The way where, again, Wolves. I think the Smith row with Martelli there, that's a, that's an option off the left. We have speed down the centre, so Smith row can work with that. Uh, Smith row can also do the Odegaard role. Odegaard's hot at the moment. Four games ago, he was in the bin. Right, so um, we spent last week talking about Thomas Party. I think a decent game. Not not a word today, but that's the way it goes. Needs another decent one to convince people, and we go again. Right, so I, I'm. We, we know we have a problem up front. Lacazette's not the answer. Aubameyang's not the long-term answer. Pepe, he doesn't seem to fancy, but he may come back in. You never know. He seems to love Eddie. Is that because he's on a contract situation? Um, for me, he doesn't quite give me enough conviction in the penalty box that he's going to carry this team consistently. So again, he's a player you deploy at certain times. Is that fair to him in his career? I don't think so. Um, Martelli has got something, though. You know, he has got something. What he actually is, I don't know, but I can't take my eyes off him. And that's what, and when I watch him, I just can't stop looking at him. I just think he's just gives me so much hope as a, as a fan. My hope index goes really, really high. And all I do is look at him and think, I just, I think you're going to do something and please don't get injured. That's my first two thoughts I look he's at. He's going to shoot or he's going to assist or he's going to put it in the box or he's going to beat a man. He's going to do something. He's <laughs> going to do something. He, <laughs> he did get I often. You know, we all watch this game as fans and we think, oh, if I was on the pitch, I would do this. Of course, in the real world, we can't do nothing. But he's the sort of player that uh, like, I think he plays like a fan would play. Do you know what I mean? If I, I just yeah. think he, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't leave anything out there, right? So, if, And I, I just really enjoy watching him. So I'm not sure what he is yet, but I know in this modern game, I don't think you need to be a stick-on 
profile centre forward at this point in time, as long as you're moving the ball. I think it's important what he does in his movement, and his movement is tremendous. He doesn't make just one run, it's two runs, it's three runs, it's two runs for the defender, it's another one to get the ball. He's just so active. I don't know how he does it. I just don't know. He barely played. And I can tell s- you how. You ever, you, ever been, you ever been 20 years old? <laughs> That's yeah. how he does it. <laughs> he's, he's, he's barely, he, look at the minutes that he's had, and he just he just looks so energetic, right? So yeah, um, yeah. it's, a, it's a, that's a talent in itself. And um, So, yeah, uh, let's see what happens. But we all know the future of our forward lines in the transfer market, and I think I'm so interested to see what Arteta does because I don't know what he thinks a forward is. When he, when he buys two, which I think he will do in the next six months to a year, then I think we'll all know. I'll stick with you for a second, Clive, because I, I don't want to deprive you the chance to purr, though, about the player that I think... I, I am someone who focuses on stars. I admit that. And I think that great teams need stars. And I'm not convinced this team has a star right now. It, it needs it. But if it does, it may very well be Bukayo Saka. Yeah. I thought he was extraordinary in this game. Um, I think he is hitting even another level of quality. He His his set-piece delivery is great. He's beating men when he needs to and delivering the ball when he needs to. I mean, the, 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 the way he handles the run and control and decision-making and pullback for Lacazette is perfect. He hits the post twice. The next thing that has to come from Saka for him to go supernova is when he's in those really good scoring positions, usually that he creates himself, finish them. But we yeah. know that's going to come. That comes. Uh, you know, he, they're not always going to hit the post or go begging. One time he was unlucky because it should have been a corner. Um, it was deflected. But, like, th- this player, Clive, is showing now, I think, not just the potential, but doing the things that the that the team really needs to have done, creating chances, taking his own chance. It just needs the finish. Yeah, and the finish is coming, isn't it? You know, and... Um... You know, yeah, I always say um, I don't care about players unless they're Patrick Vieira because, you know, I, I learned a lesson for that whole episode. But I'm struggling, mate. I think another one's coming into the list and it's Saka, I think. And the fact he's homegrown as well. I mean, I, I can't I can't even, I can't underestimate his value to the club. You know, they should be sitting down with him now, getting tied down to a contract. I don't care what it costs. Because the value of that player to this club is just is priceless. What he represents, how he is, how he plays, um, his potential as a footballer. Forget what personality his potential as a footballer is frightening. He can play multiple positions. He can play exterior, interior. He turns both ways. He can cross with both feet. He can shoot with both feet. He can score with his head. He receives it, turns around and drives at people. I mean, the, at, was he 20? At 20 years of age, you know, we, we all love Jack Wilshire when he, when he hit the scene and he did some amazing things at 18, 19, 20 in particular. But this really could be one of the best ever products we've produced. You know, I put him there with Ashley Cole, you know, and, and, and in my lifetime anyway, Ashley Cole, um, Liam Brady, and, and this kid. Mm-hmm. That's how highly I, I rate him. And my son's middle name is Liam. That tells you what I'm talking about here, right? <laughs> so so this is what I'm talking about. This is the level we're talking about. And he's I, I, I cannot speak highly enough for his abilities. How they found this kid and how they've rounded him off 
two-way player. I, I just can't. There's, there's nothing left apart from three inches inside the post, which is it's just around the corner. It really is just around the corner. When that happens, I'm just so glad these Spanish teams are skinned. Do you know what I mean? Because they'd be after him, wouldn't they? They'd be after him. Man City, no, they're not the Chelsea. only ones with money. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I I look at what Man City did to Liverpool for Sterling, and it, yeah. I have those vibes, and they scare me. Yeah, so Sterling's twenty six. Please sign a contract, Raheem. Stay where you are mm-hmm. because that shuts the door. That shuts the door for a while. Yeah, because they've got Foden, but Mares is getting up there, yeah. and Sterling's I mean, getting up there, and it's a little bit scary to me. I'm not gonna lie. It is, it is but a I'm bit whiskers. scary. They call him Whiskers because I'm, yeah. I'm curious. I, like I'm not. I, I, we should know his contract length, but he didn't sign a massive contract last time. It wasn't. It wasn't like five year job. You know, so um, we got work to do. His agent was very, very smart. He could see his pace of his development. And also go go back to the table again. They have and and do it quickly, you know. So um, I agree with Elliot. I haven't got the vocabulary to tell you how good he actually is. I think we have a superstar on our hands, a a true superstar. He'll have two years left at the end of this season. So you know, (laughs) get it done. Signed to Ting. yeah, I mean, we, we've we've pushed some other people to sign to Ting who probably shouldn't be signing to Ting, including the original signed to Ting, Theo Walcott. But uh, this guy needs to sign the Ting. Uh, Paul, I, I want to move on from Saka, if that's okay. But, you know, if you feel that you want to talk about him, I could certainly understand that because he is quite a special player. But I did want to just touch on set pieces because for a long time, it really, really frustrated me that, like, if Arsenal got a corner kick, basically what it meant is that we'd be defending uh, about five seconds later. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, short corners, terrible corners. And I think there's something that we should do. One of the sticks that's used to beat Arteta and the coaching staff and the team is, oh, we don't create enough from open play. You know, a lot of our goals come from set pieces. But the irony is set piece goals are a direct responsibility of coaching to some, like there are very few things that you can point to and say that goal is straight from the training ground. And if you're getting a lot of goals from set pieces, I think you have to praise the coaches. We've got the right guys delivering it. We've abandoned the short corners. We're putting it in swingers on the heads of big defenders. And what do you know? We're getting goals. Gabriel gets one and turns out he's uh, expecting a child. So congratulations to him, as we know, because a ball went under his shirt. Unless he was just saying, I'm planning to go on a huge Christmas eating binge and become large this holiday season. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But, but Paul, I mean, what do you think about this uptick? Really uh, exciting Welcome uptick in set piece goals, not as a criticism of, of, oh no, we don't create enough from open play, but as a celebration of, hey, something we're doing on the training ground, something we've fixed, something we've reviewed and, and worked on is bearing fruit. It's a, it's a free, it's free goals for us, Paul. We just never got them and now we are. <laughs> yeah, what do I think of it? I like it. I think we should do more of it. Uh, do so more goals? Was, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was listening to... Uh, that uh, coach's voice thing. It was a YouTube thing with Ralph mm-hmm. Rangnick. And uh, he went on a thing about how 30% of goals are from set pieces and shit. And that, uh, and he asked the audience, so how much of your time should be spent practicing set pieces? And there was quite a silence for a while. It was obvious he was looking for the answer 30%. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to be in the crowd so I could put up my hand and say, it depends on, there's an asymmetry potentially. Uh, well, it depends. Yeah, totally yeah. see what you mean. Mm-hmm. There's an elasticity of how much you train versus the payoff. It won't be the same for open play as for yep. set pieces. Might be higher, might be lower. So I don't think I can give you an answer right now, Ralph. But probably more than teams do. That's what I would have liked to have said to Ralph. So we're getting goals from set pieces. One of the things I particularly catches me uh, my eye on that 
is that it's the young fellas, the three young fellas, uh, now Martinelli, because you need a right. We don't really have right footers to swing them in from the left-hand side, but now we have Smith Rowe, we have Martinelli, and Saka from the other side, and they all seem to be able to miss the first man mm-hmm. and get them where you want them and get them into a place that Gabriel, or sorry, yeah, uh, Gabriel can get his head on, and that guy's a force of nature. Um, he's good at that shit. Uh, he he's winning header all the headers in both boxes at the moment defensively. Obviously, we brought in our coach, uh, a new coach. What was, what's his name? Nicholas Jover. Mm. Um, as I understand, one of the issues uh, with these guys, and they talk about it, is actually they don't get much time on the training ground, let alone thirty uh, percent. What you hear is they struggle to get five or ten minutes per training session and to have anybody like players don't like doing that shit yeah so yeah so they can't get the guys to stick around or to really put the effort in but i i know who should like that stuff smith rowe saka and martinelli because these are guys who are looking to play more and more of a role uh, not just minutes but within the game itself there's obviously a big upside if you put your hand up and say i'll practice corners uh, like if you want to ingratiate yourself and then when you're on the pitch, have more involvement, have more of a role. Um, maybe there's a bit of the young guys saying learning or being the guy who takes the corner kicks or playing a role in the free kicks, him and like it's it's not just the corners. They all Saka and Smithrow, we've seen many times huddling around the ball to take them um, and doing combos and doing short versions or whatever. So uh, maybe just that attention on the training ground or is paying off. Maybe it's an early season thing and it'll average out a little bit. I don't, at the end of the day, I like goals to come from wherever they come from. Um, so I'll take it. Yeah. And I, I think your point on asymmetry is a really, really brilliant one because it's a point that like you could take a team of 11 strangers and put them on the pitch. And if they're talented enough, they might find solutions and work it out and score goals, but they're probably going to be pretty bad at set pieces you know what I mean? Because it's yeah. a lot, you know, if you're putting them up against a trained side, because it's a lot more programmatic. And so I do think to some extent that there is an ability to have an outsized influence on set piece performance by training it and practicing it versus open play. Clive, the the end of this game was fun. Everything went well. We saw some players we maybe hadn't heard from in a while. Rob Holding, uh, Nicola Pepe gets on, but this was the get right spot we needed it to be. And I mean, look, we are a bit of a mid table ish side and mid table ish sides go on the road and lose and play weak teams at home and win. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. And we need a, a break from the cycle and that's going to require getting a performance that is maybe a little bit better than just the mean expectation of our position. And what do you know, but we've been handed a really golden opportunity to do that midweek. This is a tricky time of year. These fixtures are, I mean, we may not have a more important fixture than West Ham at home, as crazy as it sounds. We have to win it. We should win it. They are a direct rival for a place we want. Even if that place isn't top four, it's certainly top six. And if you want to be in there, this is one of the teams you have to take out of there. And they're coming to your place and you have to do it. They're coming off a bad result against a bad team. We're coming off a good result against a good team, having done similar 
to what they just did previously, but that was a really good sentence that I'd love to uh, look at written down. But I think the other challenge in this period is recognizing that this is now short rest, one game right after the next. And I'm wondering if you th- how you think Arteta will balance the continuity of performance with the rotation needed. I mean, we know Lacazette struggles to stay upright and run on a football pitch for consecutive minutes. He gets tired. Um, he's now played two games in a row. And yep. Bukayo Saka, I hate to bring it up, is our, I think, is the most minutes of any outfield player. So, you know, we are really, really pushing him to the limit. Odegaard looks fine. Martinelli hasn't played much, but Smith Rowe is fit. I don't know. I mean, uh, granted, Shaka just back from a pretty long-term injury has gone, you know, put a lot of minutes in right away. So there may be some decisions to be made here, and I'm curious how you think he will choose to balance that for what is a very, very important game for us to show that we are more than just flat-track bullies who want to sit mid-table. Yeah, this is a this is a big game. I because we're such a patient crowd and we're really understanding, uh, I don't think he's going to rotate very much at all. If I was him, I would play the team I really want to play because if you lose this one, mate, uh, switch off your phone. And that's and that's where it's at. I think you look at our season overall, I think the last two games really hurt people until Saturday, by the way, Everton and, and um, Manchester United because we missed opportunities. We zero points from six. That's that's not correct, right? For even even though we were dumb on the day, we didn't maybe we didn't quite deserve zero points, but we certainly didn't deserve six because of how we approached the games. And so, um, so we we're back on the bus a little bit. But to get some of those points back, West Ham at home needs need to be dealt with. And so, I don't see much rotation. I, I take your point on Shaka, by the way. I think that could be an interesting one. I wouldn't be averse to seeing Sambi come in for this game. You know, you've got to be, you've got to have some care and attention to players. He's had a long time out. He done 19 his first game. I'm not sure what he did this game. But it seemed like that's 70, 80, whatever he was. So that's that's not right. You need to watch your load there. So I would, I'd be happy to see him maybe end the game, but Sambi start the game. That'd be one thing I would do. I would keep the front four the same for this game. I think it's quite dynamic. I think West Ham are a hard-running team. Again, Smith-Rowe's on the bench, not used, so he can end the game. He can play you know, three of those four positions, no problem. So he can end the game, so we have some dynamics coming those on in those spaces. And um, uh, will Aubameyang be on the bench or will Eddie get on? Or will Pepe get on? We don't know, right? But mm-hmm. the back the back five picks itself, in my opinion, and Thomas Party, I think, will play. So... That's what I would do. I'd maybe just take Shaka out just to get a little bit more, uh, just look after him, really. You know, mm-hmm. just look after him. Why would you do it? You know, three games in a week? Why would you do that when you've been out for so many months? That's that's not right. And um, Lacazette, we'll take, again, he, we need him to start this game, but again, we'll see what happens at the end. So, very important game. West Ham, are maybe every time I think they're hitting the plateau, they kick on and get a result. But I think they're hitting the plateau. I think this is a this is a good time for us to play them. We're at home. There is a nice vibe in the ground at home most of the times, and we do get the team to be a bit braver and go forward. So I expect us to attack them. We have the essential defence that can manage Antonio's running power, and I think that's important that we that we do that off the first ball, particularly channels that he runs into. And it's important we don't give set pieces away because they're giants, right? So 
I think that's where we're going to do it. Verve, a bit more verve at home, forward play, running down the sides onto their fullbacks, Kufal and Masuaku. Um, Cresswell's injured, so that's that's where we're going to get in, into their fullback areas, in behind them, cutbacks, Lacazette goal. That's that's that is that's the way we're playing, and I see that's the I see that repeating itself, and it's just about making sure we get our first punch in. I think West Ham, if they have something to hold on to, I think they're quite resilient, they're quite physical, they're playing the right areas, so they'll be able to hold on to something. So that'll be a challenge for us because we have not shown we can come back from goals behind and and get a win. So that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, what do you think? I mean, um, I I think. I really enjoyed the Southampton game and I, I saw us do things that I, you know, were different to some of the things we've done in the past, certainly towards the, the latter stage of that second half, we had some really good moves through the center. Um, Thomas party playing, you know, punch balls into Odegaard between the lines, turning and feeding the, the forwards in running in behind things that look a little bit more like the kind of football we want to play. And you know what we used to do, right? Like bad team, you know, they, they take a shot to their jaw and they crumble a bit and we punch them. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I think there is another day where this is my 10 nil. You know, it, it it had that feeling like it was there for us and we maybe just didn't quite convert the opportunities or have the ruthlessness, which is to be expected where we are in our uh, trajectory. But I think there are changes he can make for West Ham and I, I think it becomes an extremely important game. So do you have a feel for how he might take that on? Uh, I do. Uh, I think I made a very know. yeah yeah I made a very confident pronouncement about the lineup for the last game, but uh, unfortunately the disciplinary action screwed up my prediction. Um, I'm very very confident that it'll be Chaka and Party in midfield. I think there's going to be a big midfield battle part to this. Um, looking aside at you know who had the quality on the ball or didn't in one game versus another. I still think Party and Chaka just looks right. It's very, very solid. Um, and I think up against, say, Suchek and Rice, and Rice is in tremendous form at the moment, um, I think we will go for solidity and known knowns in midfield. I think um, the, the only place I think I have a question mark over is whether Martinelli starts or Smith-Rowe. Not so much whether he should or shouldn't, but whether he will or won't. Um, he probably should start because he's earned it, especially over af- off the last performance. But uh, tactically, then I guess the question is just uh, how do we think we're getting our goals? And I think Tierney and Smithrow have a very, very good understanding on that wing um, and more playing time together. And that's, you know, S- Smithrow as well, just to balance out uh, our attack, but then Martinelli running in behind while Laka drops a little deeper to connect, help connect the play. You can go either way on it. So that's my one, my one question mark, one dilemma. I'm, I'm very, very confident, a hundred percent confident on all of the other players on the pitch. Um, mm. I think that's how we'll line up. I think it'll be unremarkable. Lacazette up front, <laughs> a midfield of Chaka party shocker. And uh, I think it'll be a really good battle and a chance for Odegaard to do his thing against West Ham again. Uh, I think, like, we didn't talk much about Tommy. And there's this debate about, like, uh, somebody we all know and respect very well uh, made a point on Twitter 
a day or two ago and you've made similar points i think elliot that mm. he's you know much as we like him at fullback he's a center back playing fullback and he's doing a great job of at fullback i'm i'm misrepresenting everybody's words here but if a guy's a great fullback and i think he might be um it's like saying he can play fullback and he can play center forward but he's only a good center forward because he's good at fullback and I just think he's a really good fullback. He's got all of the instincts, all of the abilities. Um, I think he's been great. I, yeah, I, I'm no, no complaint. I mean, he's kind of a Sanya 2.0, right? Like he's, yeah, he maybe he's more the Kyle Walker role without the yeah. blazing pace. Like uh, this and is it, not uncommon in football to see today, right? A player that yeah. plays one of the fullbacks playing a little bit more, a little bit more like a a third center back at times, yeah. right? In phases of play, you know. And the most important part is how he contributes in the final third. He doesn't. He's been banging in crosses. He, he's now put in a couple of crosses in the last few games that have led to goals. Martinelli, the chip to Martinelli for his wonder take and finish. Um, you know, okay. The Odegaard it, goal in this game is a is an early cross from him. To yeah, I, I'm not saying it's the world's greatest cross, but yeah. it, it's a bit loopy. But he knows what he's trying to do. He gets it to him. I think he supports the play. Uh, more confidently, he, him and Odegaard and Sack are working out who stands where and working their triangles. And he's certainly not. Maybe we might want to see him pushing all the way into the the box uh, more often. But he's certainly not shy about getting up there and playing a role as that. Well, and he, uh, he links the play in. for the first goal too. I mean, a really, yeah. really good escape job. That's right. Yeah. gives it to him, and he he pings it. Yeah, yep. he was in the box as well, wasn't he? He was in yep. the box on that first goal. I think I could sense. Sorry, Paul. I could I could sense yep. that um, there was a little bit of people queuing up. You no, know, Odegaard's got out of the bin. Party was in it, and Tom Yasu was just about to be in the bin because of his attacking <laughs> instincts, shall we say? And uh, it's quite interesting to see these in the top three passing combinations at the weekend, and had the most passes in a three nil victory. And yeah. I think. That's a good thing. Stylistically, we all like what we like. Um, I, you don't realise what a, a good fallback is and stability they offer until you haven't got that stability and other problems manifest themselves really quickly. Um, I think for a first season, he's come off. He's literally got off the plane two days later. He's played. He's played touch with every minute of every game he's been asked to play. And I think he's a sensational signing. I really do. And um, because he's so good, we become accustomed to his excellence while he's learning and I thought again I thought he reacted to maybe a slightly different attacking performances in some of the other games and he ran downhill in this game and I thought he was excellent yeah. now yeah. you're getting to do yeah. that away from home I think and be brave enough to say you know what we're going to give it Elliot style two fullbacks going running downhill why not we've got two centimeters that can cover use them to cover and get our fullbacks in wide areas a little bit higher, a little bit earlier and really drive teams. And yeah, you know, I love, I love his style. He's a great example. One touch, both feet, move it quickly, get after it. I really, really enjoy it. Really yeah, his two foot footedness is a big deal. And uh, well, I mean, we'll see how he develops in the final third, but he's absolutely contributing, even if he's not the overlapping fullback Tierney is. Um, it's important we have the ability to ta attack down both wings and we don't go back to being dependent on whatever Tierney does. If if Tierney is playing and if Tierney's getting in, we're in business. Well, we, we need to be able to attack down both sides and he needs to combine with Odegaard, like party Odegaard. 
uh, Saka on his side being two-footed is a good thing. And then the other thing that really stuck out to me was a couple of times in this game, him chasing out. Remember, remember all those times we wondered whether the fullbacks were under instructions not to close down crosses defensively? Mm. And, like, he's an absolute fucking lunatic uh, rushing to, rushing out to close down and block off and stop those crosses. Uh, yeah. I'd say even more so than Tierney. Super aggressive. Uh, like he's just he's just wired to stop the cross. Um, it's great to see. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 the reason I bring that up is because when West Ham hurt us in the previous game and they scored the the in the three three. They hurt us down the wings, banging in crosses, as they do against other teams. But it was basically, a, you could criticize them for their horseshoe-shaped passing. And they came down those wings, attacked those fullbacks, and we didn't cut out all those crosses. And so it's going to be an interesting battle this time. Yeah, I, the only performance that I come back to in this game that, that really jumps out to me because I thought Saka was great and Odegaard was great and Martinelli was great and the midfielders did their job and all the defenders were mostly fine. Gabriel started all over the place, one bad giveaway, one bad foul, but then, you know, grew into it massively and had a headed goal. And by the way, in the whole captaincy debate, I hear a lot of people saying Odegaard or Tierney. Gabriel seems like a really good captain shout. Like he just, he's, he's strong um, in his, in his sort of leadership quality organizing yeah, the back line. talked about him. Smith Rowe or somebody was asked about captains, kind of leadership in the dressing room. And he said, uh, Gabrielle and Ben White actually talking up all the time. Yeah, I, I like center backs as a captain, William yeah. Gallus notwithstanding. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean I, I think Gabriel Gabriel, whatever you want to say, has has the the room for it. But I look at the Lacazette performance and Paul, I mean Clive Clive, I, I don't and when we can start to wrap up, I don't want to like just bang on the Lacazette drum. Striker just feels like such an interesting situation right now because the one who might be our best or might not is not available for selection for reasons we've covered. And we have this guy in Enkedia who we don't know how good he is, but like he just turned down a contract and he's not staying. And, um, you know, we don't know what Martinelli is and Pepe's been out of the team. And like, I'm going to say something dumb, Clive. Go on, man. Go figure. <laughs> if Lacazette doesn't score that goal, and I know it's like, yes, if strikers don't score goals, maybe they're not good. But like if Lacazette doesn't score that goal and you just look at the rest of this performance, I'm channeling my inner Tim who has fa- famously said goals are, um, overvalued in football. Uh, We'd be looking at this performance as another really troubling one back-to-back with the Everton one. I mean, he's put in by Tierney all on his own into the box, doesn't want to take it on, tries to find a teammate. He gets into the box a second time and shins it right to the keeper like without getting a shot off. He, I, I do think that that goal, as great as it is, and I'm glad he scored it and, and maybe it will unlock something, obscures another performance of, of sort of um, hesitant, striker play and there was one really funny situation where he got the ball with his back to goal at the top of the box and i thought his controller batteries died because he just collapsed to the ground <laughs> so I, I don't know i mean I, I i have a hard time evaluating it is i guess the way we have to look at it clive it is the position of the moment it is the position that is going to wind up getting a lot of attention because some players are going to come in and play okay or not okay or score going up but we don't we don't have the solution so maybe the answer is just making do with what we've got for now because we don't have what we need. He literally took the words out of my mouth. I'm not even going to waste any energy on the striker area because we are in make-do mode. No, we don't have it. That's <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. We're literally in make-do mode. We're just m- mixing and matching uh, while we're waiting for certain people to 
to exit, right? So, I mean, <laughs> Lacazette was, again, I watched his game cold, so Lacazette was okay. This game looked a bit more sprightly, as he always does at home. But I think he had like 20 passes in this game. And he had 15 against Everton. Mm. Right? So I'm not saying I want to be a pass monster, but that's not a lot of touches, right? That's not a lot of touches in the game, right? So this is where we're at. These numbers are low, you know? <laughs> Ball boys are getting more touches, for God's sake. Right? So, like, um, what did you think of that moment where he was put in, though, and like, doesn't take the shot, tries to slow down and cut it across to, I guess. Come on. We, we, like, we know we know what we're talking about here. Yeah. yeah well, let's be honest. Just, we if, are... if anything, though, with Lacazette, Clive, like what I used to think of Lacazette is, you know, it's funny. He's he's become such a different thing to us since we've seen him as false nine, number 10. But like Lacazette was a get in the penalty box, put his foot through the ball kind of guy like that. That's what we signed. It's weird how he's changed. Well, I always felt I don't think we knew what we signed. I've been consistent, yeah. Elliot. Maybe told you. Like, much like Shaka to some extent. Yeah. I, t- I saw him myself, and I knew I always thought he was a one plus one striker. He was a second striker behind somebody else. And that's what he's had his best moments. Right? He is not a lead the line striker, he's a false nine. He's a nine and a half, basically. Mm. That's what he is. And um, we have expectations on him to do something else, and he's just not it. Right? So for me, you play two strikers or you or you force nine him of, of spinners on the outside. Simple as that. And that's how you use him as a combination player, a pivot player, get in there, foul people, fight people, get it out of your feet, pin people down and let other people run past you. And then you go for the second phase, cut back, goal. That's his game. That's what we got. We're making do. When he runs out of energy, Eddie will get a go. Mm. You know, if Aubameyang's on a naughty step. And Aubameyang will come back in. And then in the summer... We will do something properly. And then the team will have its totem pole. It will have its poster child up front, by which we are defined by. Yeah. You know, and stylistically, we should have two strikers for me, but we may be building one, but we need something in the Dominic Calvert-Lewin mode. I'm just going to mention that mode because people would say, oh, I'm not sure about him. But I look at somebody like that, I think, yeah, this team could do something like that. You know, whoever, whoever that person is, uh, we could do is something like that that we can all play to, know exactly who they, how they play. We know their physical potential. We'll pin one, two people, and we can play from there. No debate about what they can do. They will not slow down running into the box. They'll be speeding up. Right. So, mm-hmm. the potential of this team is trapped in our strikers. I'm afraid. Until then, you're absolutely right. It. We are. We are making do, and we're mixing and matching. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it'll be interesting. Like the, the the thing is, people can say they don't think Aubameyang's been good, and what can you say? He's been missing chances. I think one thing that's been misrepresented now that he's been late and he's on the naughty step again is suddenly you see this this narrative. Well, he, you know, he's got to try at least. He doesn't even try. You know, why would you? We've all been praising Aubameyang from what I remember for how hard he's been working on the pitch. Like he's been missing chances, but the narrative prior to this last uh, disciplinary issue was. He's, you know, at least he's pressing, at least he's running around, at least he's trying. And again, maybe some of that faded a bit. I, I don't, I'm, you know, the I'm not going to say it. Yeah, yeah the Watford I, game. It just started from there, mate. And when Abamyan was working really hard and stretching the play, Smith Rowe was the beneficiary because he's yeah. the one tapping them in where Lacazette tapped him in the other day because Abamyan's collapsed the defence. And so the Smith Rowe Abamyan link is quite important. The Smith Rowe and Lacazette link might might mean too many people coming to the ball, not stretching the plates. That's going to be an interesting one. 
But um, yeah, Aubameyang played his role and he had his patch and he jumped into a hole again. And we go Lacazette for a while, he'll have his patch and he runs out of energy and trips over his, his jeans. <laughs> right? so, um, and, um, and that's what's going to happen, right? And then we'll give Eddie a go. Oh, I thought he was going to leave. You know what's coming. We've seen this story before, right? I can't wait for the summer. I can't wait to clear this lot up and see what we're really going to be. Yeah. Well, Paul, that's it. It's it's West Ham. Just a couple of days until that game. And it, I mean, it's crazy to say that West Ham at home, I mean, look, we thought United away was huge because we could separate ourselves from a big rival. Everton away, you know, okay. Team in, in chaos. They've won one in 10. Guess who that was against? That was a big opportunity. So it feels redundant to constantly call these big opportunities. But this... This feels like a big opportunity. If we're going to finish in the places we want to finish, this is one of the teams we have to jump over, and this is them coming to our place on the heels of a bad performance. So what's your what's your ultimate expectation here? Do you have do you have sort of a prediction of how this might go and how we might deal with the the sort of real unique threat that they have up front? Uh Look, is it just me that expects them to be better against us at home? Than, than they were this weekend oh, they, against yeah, of Burnley. Course. Yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, they're going to be good. They've been good in big games. I mean, they, they yeah. beat, did they beat Chelsea and Liverpool? Are those Did they beat both of them? Yeah, they've been good in big games. I know that much. Mm-hmm. Um, the question, maybe they won't see us as a big game. Maybe it won't feel like a big game. Maybe we'll play. They'll never see us coming. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, do a, we'll play like a small team for a while uh, in the first 45 minutes and take them by surprise. Uh, th- this is a big game. Uh, it's a six-pointer. Um, it's close to season-defining, and I, I'm generally of the opinion, hey, it doesn't matter that much where you get your points from, but this is kind of a delicate time. Like, just one game ago, we were trying to work out were we in crisis and meltdown. So this is Arsenal. So losing, losing's bad. It's very, very bad. And people, shit comes surging up. As soon as we lose right now, um, and especially in the middle of a maelstrom with your captain too, right? So it's like yeah. extra scrutiny, unnecessary yeah, yeah. extra drama and scrutiny. Um, so it's like really weird. It, it, uh, I've kind of forgotten we're in crisis mode, um, but we probably are. It's just another game away for oh god, here we go again. Uh, you know, now isn't the time for a referendum. Um, it's a pain in the arse, really. It's exhausting. Absolutely yeah, fucking exhausting. <laughs> um, uh, especially because, you know, nothing's going to happen right now. might happen in G- somewhere between January and the summer, but it's not going to happen right now. We've got a bunch of games, but this is a big game uh, because suddenly they'll buy them so much space, assuming they don't just totally tank it then for the rest of the month. But with a reasonable... December and January, if we win this game up front, man, we're well positioned to start looking forward instead of looking over our shoulder and start building on performance and start building confidence, etc. So it needs to be a good performance, needs to be a draw and and much more preferably a win. Yeah. Um, So they're all big games at the moment, even even if they shouldn't be, just because we we have this. Oh. Shit, let's have let's get the crisis is back on. Start the revolution. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- there does need to just be a little bit of equanimity in the group, right? And the ability to, especially with so many games right now, I, I think it is a tricky 
game and period two because with Aubameyang not in the group and Pepe's sort of been frozen out. I know that's kind of a loaded phrase. And there, there's this, I think it's a tricky time to be rotating and trying to figure out how to manage all the fixtures. I mean, the only one I think we can agree on is when that League Cup fixture comes around, like play, play all the kids. <laughs> I don't care. Um, but yeah, just to, to set it up, they are on, um, they're on 28 points. We're on 26. So a win at home over West Ham vaults us into fourth. And if Manchester United's game is canceled with Brentford, then we are there with the game in hand. Spurs, we've got two games in hand over them as COVID ravages their group. Um, you know, Leicester have kind of drifted back a bit. And below that, it's Wolves and Brentford. So like, you start to get to the point now where, where there's this, this real class of a top six potentially shaping up. West Ham, United, Arsenal, fourth, fifth, sixth. And, you know, so I, I think it's way too early to rule out a Spurs or a Leicester. But with a win at home to West Ham to go to fourth right now, you really feel like we can, as, as bad as things feel like they were over the past couple of weeks, you can consolidate that position, be where we really want to be. And it is a season where there is an open window and we just need to fall through it somehow. I don't think anybody's going to run away with it. I think it is a season where when, when 38 games have been played, you can look at fourth and you can look at eighth. And if there's more than four points between them, I'll probably be surprised. So it, it is. these are the games that can massively, massively influence how that shakes out because you can finish eighth, feel disgusted, and look at like this game and, and the Old Trafford away and say how different the season could have been, right? So big game. We will have... Um, uh, something for patrons tomorrow that I assume will be a rewatch. We'll have a live stream pre-match West Ham. So that's what West Ham seven Arsenal zero, uh, a kid. And then instant reaction pod after that. And then Thursday I'm recording, but we won't probably put it out till Friday. We'll have our first ever Academy roundup, including George bird and Clive will be on that, uh, to round up the Academy talent. I'm really excited about that. That'll be for patrons, but we'll also have a main pod. So lots coming, no rest for the wicked. Um, there might need to be some rotation in the group, but with uh, Tim having been uh, disciplined for he knows what, he knows what he did. I don't know how we're going to figure out that rotation. Maybe Scott comes in. I know he hasn't signed his new contract yet, and some people are lukewarm on him, but you know we might need a performance in this busy time. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Paul's on Twitter. Clive, you have Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Thanks, everybody. I hope that the initial conversation about Aubameyang annoyed you the right amount, just enough to stay with us, but not so much as to abandon us and then uh, listening to the rest of the nonsense football stuff. And we will continue with that anon. Big game. Feels like they're just around the corner every time. This one does feel very big. So hopefully we see the good Arsenal. That's always fun. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, West Ham New.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.